Amen. No other name. No other name like that name. The most powerful name. The most powerful prayer. The greatest shout of exclamation. Jesus. 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 Amen. I believe the Lord would want us to hear from his heart today this one statement. Don't tell me I can't do it. Don't tell me I can't do it. No matter what the it is, he's above all of that. He's beyond all of that. I want you to find a, a passage in, in your copy of the New Testament this morning, Matthew chapter 9, and the story of two blind men and the statement that Jesus makes back to them with regard to their request. Maybe there's a request. Maybe there's something you're longing for the Lord to do in your life or in someone you care about, in the circumstances of your life. Notice, notice how this is described. This is Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, have mercy on us, son of David. Now the tense of that verb, two of them, the crying out and the saying, it means that they didn't just say it one time and were done with it. They kept on and kept on and kept on crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. They were desperate. They didn't know where else to go. They had heard evidently things about this Jesus, that he had done good things for other people. But it wasn't really mattering to them how much the Lord had done for somebody else. They, they needed his touch. Anybody like that, you know? We love hearing the stories about what the Lord's done for other folks, but when there's something big, something dear to your heart, Lord, I need your touch. And that's, that's what they were saying. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And after he had come into the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, be it done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See here, let no one know about this. It wasn't time for him to be fully known. There were other miracles that he needed to do for the, the nation, many in the nation there, to be convinced of who he was. But but they went out, verse 31 says, and spread the news about him in all that land. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And then he said, be it done unto you according to your faith. If you're carrying a small Jesus in your heart, your prayers will be small. Your faith that he can do it 
we'll have questions, we'll have hesitations. The purpose of our time this morning, I'm praying, is that the Lord by His Spirit will stir up in, her, in us to a degree an explosion in our understanding of who the real Jesus actually is. If, he, if he's a, a well-behaved, always-mannered, never-out-of-the-ordinary kind of person, then that's how we'll live our lives. But, but if there is an understanding, a clear grasp, and this is what, what rocked the world in the early church, is that they didn't care who the Caesar's name was. They knew who Jesus was, that he is Lord, he is master, he is king. That they, they, didn't, they didn't really care, they weren't set back by the size of the opposition to them because they knew who Jesus was. And I want to tell you there's a difference between the emptied Jesus and the exalted Jesus. The emptied Jesus and the exalted Jesus. Will you, will you leave Matthew and go with me to um, the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippian church. And this key teaching from the pen of the Apostle Paul about who Jesus is now in the light of who he was when he walked the face of the earth. Here's Paul's explanation. This is Philippians chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 2 and verse 5. I just need to stop and pray before we do this. Lord, we don't need more information. We thank you for the information that is in the Bible. We thank you for the truth. We thank you that the truth sets us free. Understanding can help us to get out of one place of imprisonment and move into the place of freedom. We, we are grateful for your word, and we're going to take your word very seriously. And we, As we read your word, we're asking that you will you'll open the eyes of our understanding so that we'll get it. But Lord, more than just understanding, I'm asking you for fire. I'm asking you for fire. You've said that you would baptize us with your spirit and with fire. Lord, we don't, we've got so much information as Christians today alive in this century. We, we, can, we, we can Google and we can go online and we can find all kinds of information. But what we need today is a fresh season of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. We need for you to take these words of your truth and cause them to live in our hearts, burn within our hearts. We are reminded of what the two on the road to Emmaus said about their encounter with you, Lord Jesus, that he opened the scriptures, and as he opened the scriptures to us, were not our hearts burning within us, Lord, that's what I'm asking for, that you'll set a burning as we read these words. By the power of your spirit, open our hearts, touch our hearts in Jesus' name. All right, let's go back to Philippians 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God 
a thing to be grasped. This is before Bethlehem. This is, this is in the very beginning. He was one with God, Jesus, the Father, the Spirit. But it says in verse 7 he, he, that he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being found in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. That's the earthly Jesus. That is the only period of time from eternity past to eternity future that Jesus emptied himself and took upon the form of a man. What does it mean that he emptied himself? It was necessary that 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 happened because it was necessary that blood be shed on the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there's no covering for sin. There's no remission for sin. So it was necessary that a human baby was born, was formed. Jesus, as the infant, grew up as the young man, lived in the prime of his life without sin. And it was on the cross that his blood was shed for us to be forgiven. But what is that emptying all about? Uh, folks, if, 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 this, if this drops 18 inches, as we say sometimes around here, it, it, it can change your attitude and your understanding of who is the Jesus in whose name we pray. What, what, what level of authority and power and, 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 and ability to do the impossible does he really have? The emptied Jesus was the one who emptied himself of all of the privileges, all of the, 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 the being known in heaven as the crown prince of glory. He... he he emptied himself of the, of the command of the angel armies. The scripture would say that it was this Jesus. It was this Jesus who was the agent of creation. He was the one whom God ordained, God established. He would be the one who would step out into nothing and speak to an empty universe. And the universe would take shape and form and function. That it was this Jesus, the creator, this Jesus, the commander, this Jesus who could be anywhere all at the same time, this Jesus who would have no limit to his knowledge and understanding, no limit to his authority. No limit to his presence. No limit in any way. That this Jesus emptied himself of those things, those attributes, those abilities, and took upon himself the form of a man. A man who would become obedient to the mission that the Father had given unto him. We find many places in the scripture where, where and, and this is a mystery. It, it, it is a mystery. The Lord Jesus would say, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
we would see him, and we'll read several of these, where he, he demonstrates supernatural God power to do the things that he did. But at the same time, the book of Hebrews would say that he was tempted in all points, just like we are tempted, yet without sin. Well, if that is true and we accept it as true, how could it have been that he was tempted just like you and I are tempted if he could not have also sinned? How real, how, how accurate would the statement be? He was tempted just like you and I are tempted. Knowing that when we're tempted, we can fail. It, it, it's a... It's a, it's a striking statement, and, and it's beyond the clearest of understanding. Great biblical minds have debated this issue for centuries. What did it really mean for Jesus to empty himself? We understand that he was, he was limiting himself into a human body, so that was the omnipresence that was taken care of, that he would say, I only do the things that I see the Father doing, and I only speak the things that I hear the Father speaking, that, that would mean that his, his ability to hold in, in the brain of a human body was, was limited to a degree. He, during that time, and when he was a baby, he didn't know everything that God would know. When he was 12 years old, he didn't know everything that God would know. So there, was a, there would be a giving up of the full grasp of God's understanding and all of, all of those kinds of things working together. And then, then when we come to that statement that, that the reason that he can sympathize with us, the reason that he can come to our aid when we're being tempted and tested is because he went through the same things. He, he faced the ability or faced the opportunity to buckle under temptation. He faced it and he didn't give in. How, how encouraging that can be. That, that's where that throne of grace statement comes in in Hebrews. So that when we are struggling and when we're being tested, we, we, we can go to the throne of grace and we've got someone who hears with understanding. We have a high priest, Jesus, who can understand what we're going through because he was tempted and tested just like we've been tested. I'm going somewhere with that. If you'll find Luke chapter 4. Gospel of Luke chapter 4, notice, notice what this says about the temptation of Jesus. Notice how it starts. This is Luke 4. This is at the beginning of his public ministry. He had lived for 30 years in, in obscurity, basically. But now he was about to be thrust upon the, the, the world stage, if you will, and he would be empowered and able to do and say things that he had not been able to do before. Why was that? It says in chapter 4, verse 1, Luke 4, 1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led about by the Spirit in the wilderness. Jesus as a man, the God-man, but every bit man, before he was led into the wilderness to be tested by the devil so that it would be true that he is the one who endured even the, 
the, the, the worst of the temptations of the enemy at a time when he was physically weakened, in order for him to be able to say, I understand what that feels like, I understand the intensity of it, he needed to go through it. But before he went through it, something happened to him. There was a coming on of Jesus of this filling of the Holy Spirit. John, his first cousin, in a natural sense, baptizing the Jordan River, he looks up and he sees Jesus of Nazareth coming, and John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John baptized him, and they said that, that, that while he was being baptized, it was as if a dove came out of heaven, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, and settled upon Jesus' head. That's where we, that, that's what preceded this statement here in verse 1, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led about by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him at the point when he got hungry, because he hadn't eaten in 40 days, the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. He refused to take instruction from the enemy. You, 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 you prove who you are to me by performing this miracle. Jesus saw it as a, as a testing of who the father had said he was. He, he was not going to give in to the enemy for one minute, having to prove to the enemy who he already knew he was. And then he moved into some other testings. And, and then it goes on to say in verse 13, and when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned to Galilee. Here's Luke's statement again, in the power of the spirit. And news about him spread through all the surrounding district. The emptied Jesus, the emptied Jesus who came to the earth as a man, the God-man, but still every bit of man, he needed and he relied upon the filling of the Holy Spirit for his strength. Jesus knew every word in the Bible. Jesus, Jesus knew the commands of the Father. He, he as the Son would have known those things. But folks, in this season, where the Father was putting him into a place of, of, of prominence and he would, he would press on to complete the mission of dying on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, in order for him to be able to fulfill that mission, even Jesus needed to be filled with the Spirit of God. Folks, this Bible was never intended to be a substitute for you and me personally, knowing what it is for the Spirit of God to fill us, enabling us to understand what's written here, enabling us to do what's written here, to behave in these ways, and enabling us to be able to believe the Lord. It's as, it's as ancient for the church as the life of Jesus that there needs to be a reliance upon, a counting upon the filling of God's Spirit. Lord, I am weak. I'm not able to do 
even what you're calling me to do. I can't say no to temptation. I can't on my own consistently turn away from the things that can pull upon me. And Jesus being tested at the time of great physical weakness. He hadn't, he hadn't drunk or eaten for 40 days. The enemy knows when to come at us when we're weak physically or emotionally, when we're drained. That's when he comes. He comes at other times, but he, he knows how to do it with special force at those times. And so we get from the example of Jesus. Jesus was filled with the Spirit on the day of his baptism, and then he was led by the Spirit into this season of testing so that we would be able to get the testimony of Jesus that he knows what it feels like. He knows what it is like for the enemy to come at us at a time when we're very vulnerable and by the power that the Lord is able to give us, not by us just trying harder. Somebody needs to hear this. It's not going to matter how many times you wad up and look down and strain and grunt and groan. I'm going to do it and I'm not going to mess up this time. I'm not going to mess up this time. There's no strength in that. But here's the strength. Lord, I'm empty. I need you to fill me. God, I can't, but I'm counting on you being able to do it in me. I'm looking to you. I'm not looking at me. I'm not looking at my past record. I'm not looking at even what I ought to do. I know what I ought to do, but I don't have the power to consistently do it unless you give me the strength. And somebody just say amen to that. That's our hope. That's our hope. That's our hope. The power of Jesus, the power of the Spirit of God, enabling us to be what only he can enable us to be. And he's not, he, 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 he's not chintzy about how he gives that out. Paul will say, it's the love of God that was shed abroad in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. He pours out, he lavishes upon us all that we need in grace. It would be the enemy coming back to say, well, you don't deserve it. You had no idea. Look how you messed up here. Look how you can't do it there. To which we just need to not even listen in that direction. We can say, you know, you're right, devil. If you want to just agree with him, you're right. I don't deserve it. You're right. I have messed up. You're right. You're right. You're right. But listen, Jesus knew it all. And he took all that he knows about me to the cross and he paid the price. I am free. I am forgiven. And I need your spirit, Lord Jesus, to fill me to keep me on the way that I want to live, to keep me in the place of freedom, to empower my heart to believe you, trust you, love you, forgive people, and love people. Oh, so, so the emptied Jesus, he emptied himself of all of these, and he came as a man in order that he might suffer the things that are common to humanity. And yet as he did that in the power of the Spirit, he never one time sinned. Never one time missed it. That's why he could be called the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. His blood was pure when he died on the cross. It was not tainted by compromise. It was not tainted by sin. We were redeemed, Peter will say, not with silver and gold, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of God's own son on the cross. So he went to the cross clean. 
He went to the cross pure, and he died as a pure sacrifice for sinners, for sinners. There were none of his sins. It was all of our sins. Why? Because he loved you. He loved me. And it wasn't just an emotional thing, an emotional fit. Oh, I just love all these humans. The kind of word that, the word that is used for love is the kind of word that means far more than emotion. It's knowing that there is a need in the life of the one who is loved. And the one who is loving takes the steps to meet and take care of the needs. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. He cares. He has emotions. But he took a step for you and for me. Amen. And the step was that Jesus would come out of heaven, emptying himself of all of his God prerogatives and privileges and take upon the form of a lowly man when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin, the old hymn says. What, what, a, what a mystery. What a glorious piece and part of our hope. The empty Jesus. The empty Jesus. But I want you to look with me for a little bit this morning about what this empty Jesus was able to do. Even though he was not the God, the expression of God that he had before Bethlehem, the things that he did, the power that he still had was unexplainable. It was unstoppable. And yet he would say, I'm only doing what I see my father doing. Zacchaeus up in the tree. He had seen Zacchaeus up in the tree. Because the father was looking at Zacchaeus, that chief of tax gatherers, that sorry scumbag of a moral individual. Anybody want to say amen? I'm a double first cousin of that fellow. You know, that runs in my line. Jesus says, I only do what I see the father doing. Those lepers, those two blind men. Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus had power to open Bartimaeus' blinded eyes. Jesus had the power to cleanse lepers. Jesus had the ability to walk on the water. He had the ability to do those things because those were, the th those were among many things that he saw the Father doing. And the Father gave him power, enablement, by the work of the Spirit within him to do those specific things. Things. He came as a bond servant. That's, that's another description that Paul, a bond servant to the will of the Father. He would do, he would do, no matter what it was, he would do the will of the Father. Oh my goodness. No. Find, find, um, find the gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Now, um, the, what, what I'm trying to do here, folks, is to show, to demonstrate from the Scripture the glorious might and majesty 
of the emptied Jesus so that we might appreciate as maybe never before the exalted Jesus. If he, as the empty Jesus, could do these things in that form, what in the world can he do today? Reclothed with all of his glory, reinvested with all of his authority, being the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What can he not do? You see, you get a little bitty Jesus and you're going to pray little bitty prayers. You get a little bitty Jesus and you'll take little bitty stands. You get a little bitty Jesus and you'll give up in quick fashion. But when you understand who he is, that's why Paul would say, I'm praying for the Ephesians. And as he prays for them, he prays for us. Lord, I'm asking you to give them your spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of you. Men who know their God will attempt great exploits, Daniel 10 says. Men and women who know their God will attempt great exploits. We attempt very little because our Jesus is so little. We don't understand the fullness of who he is and the authority that he now commands, and therefore we live a cheapened life. We live far below our birthright and his intensity, his intention for us. But now this, this is what he did This is the emptied Jesus. Verse 35, Mark 4. And on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them, just as he was, in the boat, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat. So much that the the boat was already filling up, and he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing, seasoned fishermen, saying such? And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down And it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the emptied Jesus. This is the one who had laid aside those privileges all, of the, all that he had to come and take the form of a man. But even as the empty Jesus, he still commanded the forces of nature, and they obeyed. Hush, be still. Folks, don't you say he can't do it. How many would be in the middle of a storm? It's come upon you unaware. Maybe in this case, they were trying to do what the Lord had said, do let's go to the other side. And and then the storm hits, their world blows up. So desperate was it that their conclusion was the storm's going to kill us. 
You ever been in a storm like that? This is an example. These are, these are specific stories, specific examples, illustrations from the life of the earthly life of the empty Jesus, that he is no stranger to storms. He is not without power in the middle of a storm. But if you're there, surrounded by, engulfed by the howling winds and the towering waves, the same Jesus who calmed the storm back then is the same Jesus who is in your boat right now. The empty Jesus, the exalted Jesus will be the Jesus who's no longer limited to one human form. He's back where he can be anywhere and everywhere all at the same time. That's why he said to the disciples, it's going to be better for you that I go away than if I stay here physically, one body, because if I go away, I'll send my spirit to you. And the living presence of the exalted, re-crowned, re-enthroned Jesus, now alive, able to move and be and calm storms anywhere that happen at any point in history and anybody's life. Amen. Amen. Little bitty Jesus, little bitty faith. Storms hit, total freak out. This storm's going to kill us. But somewhere along the line, when the Lord in his mercy opens your heart up and opens my mind up and my heart up so that there is a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of him, in the true knowledge of him, causing the eyes of our hearts to be flooded with light so that we know what is the hope of our calling. We know what are the riches of his inheritance and the saints. And we are getting a grip on the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who are believing. That's that Ephesians 1 prayer by Paul. Storm. Even the empty Jesus had the ability to calm the waves. If he could calm the waves, then what do you reckon he can do with storms today? Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same today as he was then in his power and forever, but as we find, he's even greater in his ability to demonstrate his power, his heart, being wherever he needs to be, greater now than it was then. He was limited to one form, to one voice, to one spot in history, to one place in the, on the earth to stand. Now there are no limits. And now all authority has been given again back to him. This is, you go from, from verse um, 41 in Mark 4 into chapter 5 of Mark, and this is just one of the most amazing stories. It's repeated in the Gospels, but Mark, Mark is so descriptive and so graphic regarding the condition of this man. It's about a crazy man, a crazy man just being crazy. Now, without trying to be offensive or asking anybody to raise your hand, you got a crazy place in you? Don't anybody say, uh-huh, she does, uh-huh, he does. That's not appropriate, but have you got a crazy place in you? 
That may be 98% of the rest of your life that's ordered, every hair in place. You know, you fit it, Bill Miller, you know. But there's another part of us. And we were talking about Paul. Paul would say, the devil can't come in and just take over, but you can give him something. You can agree with him. And you keep agreeing with him against God about something in your life, and you give the devil a place. And it's not until you take those keys back. Remember, we've been working on that over the last two or three. You, 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 you confess the sin of giving that place of control to the enemy. You renounce agreement with the enemy, get the key back, and then resist the devil. Instead of, instead of agreeing with, resist the devil, says, and he will flee from you. James says that. And then we pray, Lord, I hand this key to this part of my heart to you, and I ask you to fill that place. The very place where I was crazy, the very place where I had no control, it controlled me. I'm asking you now to come in and conquer that, remove everything that was not in agreement with you, and I ask you to fill to overflowing that very spot. And I'm looking to the faces of some folks that would be able to say, I don't know how, and I didn't deserve it, but Jesus has done that in my life. And he keeps on doing it. A crazy place, an out of control place. So I don't want you just to lock this story away in Mark chapter four or five and say, oh, that was nice. It's about the crazy places, out of control places in our lives where Jesus is saying, don't you tell me I can't do it. Don't you tell me I can't do it. Here's just one example. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerizines. Chapter 5, verse 2. And when he had gotten out of the boat, when he'd come out of the boat, and immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. That's where he lived. That was his street address. He had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Can I add her? Him or her. So they were all included. And constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gashing himself with stones. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, but really it was the demon speaking. It was the devil inside him that began to say, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Can I ask a question? How, how did the demon know Jesus' name? You'll find it repeated 
more than just a time or two in the Gospels. When there would be a demonic spirit harassing an individual, demonizing an individual. And Jesus would confront them. They knew his name. How did they know his name? Before the emptied Jesus. Jesus was the creator. Jesus was the commander. The scripture will say, John will say, nothing has come into being that has come into being apart from Jesus. The world, all things seen, all things unseen, the universe, everything created, the agent of that was Jesus. This demon, this demon recognized Jesus from before the fall. Before Satan, Lucifer was able to gather around him a third of the angels to try to launch an assault on God's rule. And that Lucifer would be the undisputed heavyweight. There was no fight to it. Lucifer and a third of the angels were cast out of heaven and sent to this earth. This this demon or this group of them knew Jesus because he was their former commander. Folks, listen. Sometimes the clearest declaration of the authority of Jesus, who he really is, what he has the power to do, will come from Satan, the devil himself. Why do you think in this nation the most feared word is the name Jesus? You can pray in other names. You can come in other, with other reputations, with other religions, and everything's fine. But you step into a room, and Jesus is across your chest, and Jesus is on your lips. And the forces of darkness behind the earthly authority, because they know who he is. They know what is coming for them. And they'll outlaw you, ridicule you, try to throw you out of schools, try to throw you out of jobs, because they know the authority of the real Jesus. And their time is coming, and they know it. So I think that's just important to keep in mind. Nobody else on that hillside, not even the disciples themselves who had watched Jesus do many things, had just seen him calm the sea. They weren't even fully convinced yet who he really was. Oh, but the demons inside this man, as soon as Jesus entered their presence, they recognized him and they began to beg that he would not torment them before their time. They began to ask permission rather than demand that he, folks, this when the real Jesus is alive in your chest and working in your heart, this same kind of confidence that even if it is the face of hell itself coming against you, you will know in your knower that's alive. That's a temporary front. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. And I will not budge one step away from loyalty to him. Jesus 
always wins. Jesus always wins. Jesus always wins. There may be temporary skirmishes. There may be momentary setbacks. But he is Lord, and the devil knows he is Lord. And when you speak his name in reverence to him, standing as his emissary, standing as his ambassador, you stand in full authority, and the devil knows it, and he has to recognize it. All right. Well, they go, he, he ends up, he, he, he casts those spirits out of a the man. They end up going to possess 2,000 hogs on the side of the hill. Verse 14, their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man. Folks, listen, look at this. They observed the man who had been demon-possessed, demonized, demonized, sitting down clothed and in his right mind. The very man who had had that, had the legion, and they became frightened because they'd never seen power like that. They saw him sitting clothed and in his right mind. You got a crazy place in you? You got a crazy place in you. Don't say Jesus can't do it. Don't say he can't do it. What, what was the man? The man, the best he could, he was just drawn to Jesus. And, and, and then the demons started speaking, but he was drawn to Jesus. That, that, that's, what, that's, that's where the deliverance starts. That, that, that's where it starts and ends. It's in the presence of Jesus and his power setting the captive free. Okay, now, again, empty Jesus. This is an empty Jesus. Still with authority over darkness, authority over, over the waves and the sea. So many examples, so many examples. I want you to find Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. This storm's going to kill us. This crazy part of me is going to always mess my life up, ruin my life up. And then even the place of death. I'm going to die. Or this one is going to die. It seems inevitable. Uh, look, now this is again the emptied Jesus and death. Verse 11, Luke 7, verse 11. And it came about soon afterwards that he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large multitude. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when Jesus saw her, he felt compassion for her. 
and said to her, it's translated, do not weep, but, it, but literally the reading is, stop, stop weeping. He wasn't fussing at her. He was just saying something, something good, something good. There will be an end to your weeping is at hand. And he came up, verse 14, and touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And fear gripped all, gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. Young man, I say to you, Arise. This story, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, all speak of the reality that even in his emptied form, Jesus had authority to stop death. Death, you will go no further. Stop, and he called forth life. The exalted Jesus, the empty Jesus could stop a funeral procession and give a dead son back to the widowed mother. But I submit to you in Revelation chapter 1, John has the vision of the exalted Jesus reclothed with all of his authority, reinvested with everything that he had with the Father before Bethlehem. <laughs> and Jesus says, Behold, I hold the keys of death and of hell. Jesus, when he died, died to pay the price for the sins of the world. The Father accepted his sacrifice for the sins of the world. And as a result of that sacrifice being accepted by the Father, Easter Sunday happened. He was raised from the dead, Paul will write, on account of our justification. What Jesus did for us fully satisfied the law of God against every one of us. Every sin that we've ever committed or ever will commit, Jesus took care of it all through his death on the cross. The only way for sins to be lifted, removed, taken away from us, the guilt and the shame being broken, is on the basis of the death of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul will say, I glory in the cross. I glory in the cross because it is there that forgiveness is found and freedom comes. And as, when, as Jesus was raised from the dead, as proof of the Father's acceptance of his sacrifice, he stripped from Satan's grip the keys of death and of hell. No longer would Satan have the unquestioned ability to rule over death, to rule over the grave. Jesus has conquered sin by his death and by his resurrection, and he 
holds the keys of death and of hell. Therefore, if it was true even in the empty Jesus season, how much more is it true today right now that there's nobody going to be lost. There's nobody going to be taken. There's nobody that will be lost through the gate of death and hell unless it is completely the timing of the Lord Jesus who holds the key. If he could stop death back then, how much more can he stop death right now? You see, the bigger your Jesus, the bigger your Jesus, the bigger your faith. Be it done to you, he said to the blind men, be it done unto you according to your faith. Could it very well be that there have been some things that have not happened because our faith has been so small? I'm not talking about some, some name it, claim it, do, do weird stuff, just, just be a disbeliever. No. It's first about knowing who he is. How will Jesus would say, this is how you do the work of God. They saw his miracles in John. We, we want to do the work of God. Show us how to do the work of God. He said, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. It's not so much about believing for something as it is putting your trust in the person, in the one who knows no impossibilities, who knows no limits, whom Satan has to bow before and confess that Jesus is Lord. Knowing who he is, having a sense of the magnitude of who he is, our faith can blow up exponentially. No matter if it's a storm, no matter if it's even death, no matter if it's not having enough, if he could take five tortillas and, 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 and two little bitty perch, and feed 5,000 men, not counting the women, women, women and children. How much? That was when he was emptied. That was the limited Jesus. How much more can he take when you think and have the feeling, I don't know how we're going to make it. What if you take your five loaves and two fish and hand them to the one who back yonder multiplied enough for, full, full, for all those people to eat and have plenty left over? You hand what little you have to him. Today, now, we look at the example of what he did then. Can I say this without trying to be irreverent? It's just the truth. He is in the greater form now. He is in the full magnified form now. The one now is the Jesus who stepped out on nothing and commanded lights to turn on and the universe to flourish, and it happened. That's the Jesus, 33 years, where he emptied himself. But since then and through now, all of creation, all of glory, this is who he is. Jesus is Lord. Therefore, you read the rest of that in Philippians 2. He humbled himself, he emptied himself, obedient to the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him. 
and gave him the name. This is the current. That was the past. That was the Jesus then. This is the Jesus now. The name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. They're not doing it right now, but they will. And he says, even in hell, even beneath the earth. You want to know where there are no atheists? You know where there are no atheists in the universe? Hell. Every person there knows who Jesus is now. They may have mocked him, done all that they've done to turn away and try to turn people from his cause. But they know Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So we make that confession not because we're beaten into it. We make that confession because we have been blessed into it. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is no longer the empty Jesus. He is the exalted Jesus. No matter what you're walking through, no matter who is arrayed against you, no matter how limited your resources may be right now, no matter what may be going on in your physical body, when there comes to be within your heart that understanding of, wait a minute, he did all of these things then, but even more, beyond anything that could be imagined or expressed, he is infinitely more today than he was. He's not emptied anymore. He's not still on the cross, dying and bleeding and suffering. He's not still in the grave. He's alive. And he is here in this room and where you are. Some people say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. The door of folks' hearts, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, what? I will come in to them. Do you need some help? Do you need some strength? Do you need someone to get the crazy part of you dealt with? It, it all happens when we respond to the knock on the door of our heart. It's not religion. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Open the door to my heart, Lord Jesus, and I invite you in. You, 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 may, you, you may have checked out on church, but there's still something inside of you that cries out. I, if there really is a real Jesus, I want to know him. If there is a God who loves, I want to know him. And you're listening to this today, and all I'm saying to you as we wrap this up, the doorknob's on the inside of your heart. He, he, he won't beat the door down. He won't force his way in, but he will try to win your heart. Some of the things maybe you've heard today or you've seen the kindness of the Lord expressed in other ways, and, but never has there been a point in time when you, you stopped and you turned the doorknob and you opened the door to your heart. Lord Jesus, I invite you. I ask you, come into my heart. Come into my heart. You understand, it's not going to be the empty Jesus. The empty Jesus won your forgiveness and our forgiveness on the cross. That's what he came to do. He emptied himself so he could become a man and he could be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. That mission was accomplished. That, has, that is done. But now that he's been raised from the dead, 
and re-exalted to the glorious position he's always had with the Father. He comes to knock on the hearts, doors of hearts, wanting to come in. Not to beat you down, not to rob you of stuff. He says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Amen. 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 We're going we're gonna to stop. We need to, we'll, we'll end. But, but bless you for tuning in today. And wherever you are, we just bless you. One's here in this room. It's great to see the folks here. But our extended family of brothers and sisters in Jesus and friends scattered all around this world, literally. So grateful. So grateful. That simple prayer, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. If you've never prayed that prayer, right? That's where it starts. If there's something we can be praying with you about, Pastor Walker at alamocity.org, just enough for us to know how to pray. You can email us, get that to us, and we, we, take, that, we, we take that seriously. And we look forward to being able to pray with you. Folks in this room, we get a chance to do it face-to-face. You know? I want to ask our prayer partners to, to join me, please. And, and uh, if we can pray with you, about something going on in your life, please come this way. We'd, we would love to, we'd love to have the few minutes with you. The empty Jesus was awesome. The exalted Jesus is off the charts. Little bitty Jesus, little bitty faith. Little bitty Jesus, little bitty courage. The exalted Jesus Our faith is open. Our heart is open. There's the sense of knowing there is nothing impossible with my God. There is nothing impossible with my God. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. We'll see you again soon. Thank you for being a part.